Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hej och välkomna till Vinpratarna. Vi sitter här på Oklarkällan i ett rum med massa, massa god borgarni omkring oss. Det, det känns är härligt. sjukt mycket vin här omkring oss. Och det är allting så väldigt Historiens gott. vingslag. Mm, mm. Ja, exakt. Mm. Vi, det är alltså La Polée Nordic som går av stapeln idag. Och vi har varit här och lyssnat på lite härliga seminarier med Daniel John. Jonas. Jonas. Det. Och det är honom vi ska prata med här, eller det är honom ni ska få höra prata i den intervju som kommer alldeles strax här efter. Mm. Lite grann om, ja, men han ser han har varit en riktig borgonje. Ja, man får man väl säga, kalla honom har... borgonjexpert. Det kan man lugnt säga. Lång erfarenhet har bott i Lyon och rest väldigt mycket i Borgon de ja. senaste 30 åren. Ja. Och också och grundare av den här La Polée New York då, som är här sedan av, av, av yttrat sig till. Vi har försökt få för honom så mycket info på kort tid som möjligt och ja. prata lite om Borgogne som region men också framtid och bakgrund. Mm. Och så vad som har hänt de senaste det är väl nästan 40 år han har rest rätt mycket mm. där så, att, så vad som har hänt de viktigaste utvecklingstrenderna eller utvecklingsskedena och trenderna och vad som utmaningar inför framtiden och så, och så vidare och så vidare. Så jag hoppas ni får trevlig lyssning mm. alla upp ett glas gott om det är någonting som är luddigt eller för avancerat så kan ni bara skicka ett mejl eller skriva ett vinpratarna. Ja, det är så mycket producenter vi... och sånt som nämns. Mm. Så att, um, mycket name-dropping. Ja, mycket name-dropping är det. Men uh, en intressant man. Väl, väldigt kunnig. Man vill ju bara suga ut all hans borgångkunskap ja, och ta, ta med sig den hem. Ja, Men uh, håll till godo och skål. Skål, så hörs vi och ses vi snart. Ciao. Hej. Welcome to uh, to the podcast. Really nice to have you here, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we just start off with, with telling the listeners um, a little bit brief about your background. Of course, uh, I don't expect anyone to know who I am. <laughs> I uh, am uh, from New York, born in New York, one of the few New Yorkers who are actually real <laughs> New Yorkers. So I'm very proud of that. Um, I live in Brooklyn, and I've spent my career... In food and wine, I initially thought that I would like to be a chef, Um, but that quickly uh, led to the world of wine, and I realized that it was uh, more comfortable for me in the wine cellar than in the kitchen. 
you know, the way it all started was uh, when I was a teenager, uh, my mother had decided to take her children uh, to France. She decided to take a year off from her work and take us to France. It was just after I had completed my high school studies and uh, before starting university. So the timing was good for me. Uh, I did, however, enroll in a uh, university program that would allow my studies in France to be transferred back to the U.S. Uh, university. So uh, we went to a small place in Provence called Le Barou. It's in the, it's in the south. It's not too far from uh, Carpentras, uh, Avignon, Chateauneuf du Pape, and all that. So. Um, I very quickly, at the age of 18 years old, fell in love. I discovered France right then uh, and fell in love with the, just everything that I had to offer, the language first and the produce, the, 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 just the cuisine and the culture because the culture where I was was a very old culture. It was Provençal. And even in this village of about 250 inhabitants, uh, they only spoke Provençal. So... I wasn't really uh, learning about France and French culture. I was learning Provençal. And now today that's sort of died off. And, mm. you know, the language is sort of a dead language. It's a very beautiful language, very, um, very uh, sort of a cross between French and Italian. And, and when, when did your love affair with Burgundy start? When, when and how? Oh, well, you're jumping way ahead, yeah. but that's okay. Um, uh, that didn't start until oh, maybe 10 years later, after I'd come back to the United States and was working um, with a, a place that was not had anything to do with uh, French wine or food. Uh, it was a cruise line, but I was moonlighting. I was making a little extra money at night in a restaurant and a little extra money working in a wine store. And the person who was a manager in the wine store was their buyer, Burgundy mm -hmm. buyer, and he took me to Burgundy. He offered me the trip to Burgundy. Wow. Uh, this was, I think, 1982, and so I went, and that's when I first really discovered Burgundy in the cellars, the the, the winemakers. Uh, uh, Dr. George Munier, for example, mm -hmm. was one of the first, um, and uh, the Domaine Angel Estate, Rene Angel. And uh, some of the, you know, really historic family domains. And um, I just fell in love with it. Yeah. That was the beginning of my love affair with Burgundy. Mm. Um, uh, I wasn't able to do anything with it, uh, except uh, I continued to study and taste and learn about wine. Uh, and then I took a job with uh, Daniel Boulou, mm? the chef. Uh, at a restaurant called Le Régence. It was in a, in a hotel called uh, the Plaza Athenee when they opened up in New York. Classic. Yeah, classic, very classic. Uh, but uh, also in that dining room, I met Drew Nieporent, who was just about to get uh, ready to open a restaurant called Montrachet. Now, Montrachet was in a uh, real trailblazer in many ways in New York in the culinary scene because... It was in a neighborhood called Tribeca that at the time was really artist lofts mm. and uh, not very well frequented. There were very few restaurants. Uh, but he was, he was a young man opening his own restaurant and didn't have a lot of money, so he went to this neighborhood. And um, I liked his concept, so I went along with him. And very shortly after we opened in April, spring of 1985, 
Uh, we got a huge review from the New York Times, three Michelin, uh, no, not Michelin, three stars, New York New Times. Time, yeah, yeah. Yes, not Michelin stars. The Michelin Guide did not exist in the United States at the time. Oh. <clears throat> so anyhow, three New York Times stars is still very impressive, and we were very busy. And uh, I was interested in wine. I had learned something about wine, and I said to him, I said, please allow me to handle the ordering and the, the, the inventorying of wine and maintaining the wine list. So, um, so that's how it started. And then at that point, <clears throat> because it's Montrachet, I built the Burgundy list. Mm. It had to be Burgundy because mm. Montrachet, of course, is the greatest uh, dry white wine on the planet. Some people might argue with that, but <laughs> they can find We're me. And they can have an argument with me if they like. Yeah. That's fine. But a great Montrachet is really a great, great, great one. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, so we continued to build uh, the wine list in the cellar, and it was just timing was very, um, very important in Burgundy also at that time because that was right at a time when a new generation. The, this is like the mid-80s. Yeah, the mid-80s, yeah, yeah. Uh, mid to late 80s, and mm. a new generation of winemakers were just coming in and taking over the domains from their, their parents. <clears throat> so, and people such as Christophe Rumier, uh, Dominique Lafont, uh, Patrick Bees, he was a little bit older, he'd already been there for a few years. Uh, but, you know, this was, this was new, and also coming out of a period in Burgundy that was a little bit dark. Mm. Uh, dark in the sense, the economics, the, the market for Burgundy was not very good. Uh, it was the, sort of the tail end of a period where uh, the manufacturers of chemicals and fertilizer and were, were having a great influence in the wineries in Burgundy, partly because the market wasn't good and they had to produce wine to sell it and to, you know, to do the best they could to keep the domain going. So... <clears throat> Excuse me. So this new uh, generation of young people are people who are educated, who had traveled, talked to each other, and were very motivated to make quality wine. Mm -hmm. So these are the people I met. My first friends in Burgundy were, were, were those people I mentioned. And um, it was um, the, the beginning, beginning, really, of a renaissance in Burgundy. So I... Uh, eventually would invite them to come to the United States. Uh, some of them had never traveled to the States mm. before. Uh, I had invited them to do wine dinners at the restaurant. Mm. And little by little, uh, word got around, and we got all sorts of awards and accolades and uh, recognition for the wine program. And, um, you know, as time went on, Burgundy wine culture became more important in New York. Uh, up until then, the late 80s, the 90s, people were not really drinking a lot of wine. Uh. It wasn't as common to see a bottle of wine on the table as it is today. And certainly not Burgundy. Nobody was drinking Burgundy. Okay. There was no desire. Uh, there was no demand for it. It was more Bordeaux it. and Fashion. <clears throat> it was Bordeaux yeah. and California. Mm. Yeah. Uh, California mm, wine yeah. was very, very popular. Uh, you know, think about um, the... the um, uh, what was it? The um, the, the the tasting in Paris yeah, sure. with yeah, Stephen yeah. Spurrier and uh, how the United States uh, really came out on top in that, and it really recognized the United States as one of the great wine producing yeah. uh, areas of the world. So people were starting to drink American wine and some of the classics like Burgundy, but Bordeaux, like Bordeaux, but Burgundy was still not uh, in great demand. Many of today's collectors 
uh, started learning about Burgundy at Montrachet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There may be some coming tonight. Who sometimes people come to me yeah. and say, <laughs> "Daniel, I used to buy at Montrachet. I remember you when you know we could we could afford the wine because <laughs> it wasn't expensive." No. So is this how the La came about? So, you know, as I would continue to do these wine dinners and go to Burgundy, uh, Dominique Lafont once invited me to uh, the Palais de Merceau. And uh, I was so impressed by it that uh, after talking to some a group of my friends in Burgundy, saying, what if we do a bigger event in New York? So they came over like five or six of them. It was Etienne Griveaux and Patrick Bees and Jacques Seyss from Domaine Dujac, uh, Jean-Pierre Desmet, Domaine Larlo, Christophe Rumier, and Dominique Lafont. So a couple of good names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All of them. So they came to New York, and we started doing some wine dinners, and there was a little interest, not a lot. A few year, more years go by, and I said, uh, let's do a pole to New York. Uh, let's do that. And they all said, okay, let's do it. So, so they came. They, they, then there were a few more. There were like 12. Aubert de Villene came and Claude Lefleur, Jean-Marc Rouleau. Um, let me see. Party, there were like 12 producers for the very first poll in the year 2000. 2000 yeah. That was the first okay. one. And it was, a, it was a disaster. It was a failure. It was horrible. I didn't want to do it again. It was... You know, nobody understood the concept of bringing wine and then paying money. So it was very unusual. But that's what the Palais is. The Palais de Merceau was created to celebrate the end of harvest. And the way that they celebrate the end of harvest in Burgundy is they pull bottles out of their cellar and they have a big meal with friends and family and sit around and pass the afternoon. The wine is safe. It's going to become wine. And... So that's what a pole is. Mm. Uh, in fact, uh, the pole comes from the word poil, mm-hmm. uh, saute pan in French, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. poil. Okay. Oh. So the owner would bring a poile of food to the harvesters and everybody. Mm-hmm. And the poile, they would eat, they would drink, and the poile became the pole, and oh, pole okay. became the celebration at the end of harvest. Oh, okay. So I co-opted that name. I asked, I actually had a meeting with the mayor of Merceau, and the president of the Palais de Merceau, and I explained what I would like to do. Jean-Marc Rouleau helped set up that meeting. He was on the committee at the time. And, um, and uh, I asked if I could do that, because they have a tradition, and I just wanted to be respectful. Of course. So <clears throat> very much like Jonas was respectful and asked me if he could do a Palais here in Stockholm. Mm. And I said, there's no, need, no, no reason, no need to ask me permission, but I'm flattered and I'm happy to help. So that's why I'm here. Yeah. So if you, you compare the first La Palais in 2000 and the La Palais today, how, yeah. is, how is, has it evolved? Well, it's changed dramatically because the first one, we had a, a, just a one day uh, a tasting and then a dinner. And today we have built maybe four or five uh, days of events around the weekend, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mixed between different types of tastings, uh, seminars, the educational component is very important to me. It's also very important for me to design events to attract a young, new demographic, mm-hmm. new people, so they don't feel that Burgundy is only for very wealthy people and they can never participate. 
I want it. We really make an effort to to make it very uh, welcoming to, to everybody. And that means the pricing it can be anywhere from $95 per person to $9,000 per person mm. for an event. Mm. Mm. So we'll do that. We have small dinners with uh, maybe Romani Conti or Christophe Roumier or De Vaugway or, you know, very famous estates. And, and then we have a, a grand tasting for about 600 people, six or 700 people. Wow. And then a gala dinner where everybody brings wine, that's about 350 or 400 people. So it's really in the spirit of the Palais. It's grown, and um, we're very, very happy to be able to continue to do that uh, because we have the support of Burgundy. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So what would you say uh, from the first time you visited Burgundy up till today, what are the sort of the biggest differences within within? Burgundy. Well, the biggest difference that I notice today is when I just uh, come into town that I see a lot of people I recognize and I know and who know me. And um, so uh, back when I first started going, it, it was just you make an appointment, you go to the appointment, you taste the wine, you go to your hotel. You didn't see people in restaurants, uh, Americans or tourists or or collectors or anything. So what I see now is just a huge population of Burgundy lovers. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's the most physically noticeable uh, difference. Cars. Yeah, a lot of fancy cars, but those are in the winemakers' driveways <laughs> also uh, because they've, uh, they've had some good times and bad times. But... Um, I mean, that's uh, just a very superficial thing, uh, what I've noticed in Burgundy. Uh, a big change is that there's so much consistent quality uh, at a different domains that you may not even hear about. But uh, young people, 25, 28 years old, they're, 
they're just passionate and they understand the importance of the terroir that they are working and how not only is there great demand for the wine, but so they're not thinking about it in a commercial way uh, exclusively, but they're thinking about it being such an important place that they have a responsibility. And that wasn't always the case. There was just so much bad wine uh, 20 or 30 years ago, or not even. But um, today, it's, it's really a great place to go and discover producers you don't know. And uh, we, we put a lot of effort in La Pole mm. to uh, invite young people that I'm not familiar with and uh, spend time with them and learn what they're doing and understanding that there's, you know, that the history continues. Mm. It's, it's interesting because earlier at the tasting you talked about Marange, for example, mm-hmm. so a little bit not that famous appellation. Uh, do you have any favorites, like unknown appellations, where we, we could find good value or interesting producers, like Marange, for example? Yeah, Marange is, is good. Uh, it is a good example. Um, I think in uh, villages like Ose Dures, mm-hmm. and uh, in our market in the United States, you know, the name means something, and it's a hard name for people. So what to say. Yeah, well. so people don't really buy it. Saint Aubin now is good value, but it, it's become very much discovered. Yeah. Uh, so it's not really a discovery, but um, Fissin, Fissin okay, and you ha- have a young woman winemaker there, Amélie Berthaud, who's making terrific wine, and other people uh, in the village are now really paying attention to it. So that's that's something else. And then you have more regional appellations like uh, like Haute Côte de Nuit and Haute Côte de Beaune and. Uh, winemakers who are known and and not so well known who are planting and making wine up there. So I always look for those. Um, Let's see what else. Um, Ose Dura, Saint-Romain, Saint-Aubin, Montelli. Uh, Very good, right behind Volnay. It's a little cooler because you have a valley that goes back from Volnay and the wines are a little bit lighter and a little Mm -hmm. bit cooler. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's it's, def- it's something that you should look for. Seek out. For Lafon makes a motley, Rouleau makes a motley, Costurie. People, a lot of producers in the village of Marceau also Absolutely. make some uh, wine from motley. But would you also say that that um, winemaking techniques have changed with these new winemakers uh, coming in? Is it a viticultural uh, side of it? Well, I think that. There are only so many ways you can you can do it. I mean, you have to make wine. But I think that there are fashions and trends um, that come and go. And I think that right now we're in a pretty good a pretty good era where people are moving away from oak or, or new oak. Of course, oak is very important, but the flavor of oak, I think, people are mastering pretty well. Um, and not imparting that flavor on the wine. I think that um, whole cluster fermentation with the stems is something that's a little bit trendy. Um, I like the style very much, and when you think of the great examples of Romani Conti and uh, Dujac and uh, Domaine de Larlo, and, you know, there's some really great wines, uh, but there are also some winemakers who are embracing it because it's fashionable. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that when you do that, then you're not making authentic wine anymore. I think the best winemakers are the ones who aren't paying attention to fashion, but are just letting their emotion guide them on what they like and being uh, confident and having faith and confidence in their own palate. Sure. And try and making wine from you know the way they know how to make it and the way they want the wine to become yeah. instead of trying to make a certain style. Once you try to do something, then I think you're you're in the danger zone of doing something wrong. Because mm. if you say, "Oh, I love Dujac, I'm going to make a Dujac wine," then all of a sudden. It's not authentic. It's not sincere. There are different grapes. There are different terroir. There's different uh, uh, microbiology uh, of, of yeast and culture. There are all these different things. You can't just clone a wine. No, no. You can clone a vine, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but you can't. Yeah. <clears throat> but but some regions, I mean, for Bordeaux, some some producers in Bordeaux or other regions have, have tried to make wine uh, that's um, there's more approachable, young. Mm, yeah. Do you think that is the trend that you see in, in, in Burgundy as well? Well, it's Pinot Noir, so it's not uh, a grape variety that's very austere, like Cabernet Sauvignon. It doesn't have those kinds of tannins. Some vintages are going to produce a wine that's, that's, that's harder. Um, I don't think that... <clears throat> well, I think that... I don't think that people are making wine in a fashion to age, intentionally to more extract to age. I think they're respecting the grape variety. Um, I think that there are some some wines that are maybe a little bit more uh, approachable because that's what people want to drink. Mm -hmm. But I don't see that as a big issue. I, I understand what you say about Bordeaux and also like California Um, there's a pendulum is swinging the other way away from oaky alcoholic wines to more balanced wines. Mm. Um, and I think that that's what they want to do naturally in Burgundy and it's easier because that's, I think that's what they're given. Mm. I think that they're given the grape variety and the land that allows them to do that easily. Mm. If you compare the vineyard practices when you first arrived in Burgundy, um, how was the sense of biodynamics, organic... Has it changed with the younger generation? Oh, yes, 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 very much. Nobody was really doing it uh, then. There were a few people, but it wasn't anything that people made an issue of or talked about. Um, people were not... People, you would start hearing about people plowing the vineyard, mm -hmm. so it wasn't such a big thing. Um, but now, of course... It's almost unusual to find somebody who's not organic. Now, a lot of people are not saying they're organic because they don't want to get certified. Uh, and they, the reason they may not want to be certified is because if they need to use some kind of treatment on the vineyard to protect their crop, they will do They want to be free to do it. Some people will say, we want to be certified, and then they'll just adhere to it religiously. But... Uh, Most people that I know of uh, and whose wine I taste are very respectful of the vineyard and organic, biodynamic, but they would never put... No, they, they just won't put it on the label. Hmm. Too many people in other regions of France uh, are using that as a marketing tool sure. because it's so popular now to you know, have a wine shop or a wine bar, only organic, only natural, only this, only biodynamic or whatever. And uh, I really don't care. 
You know, some of my favorite wines are not certified organic. But there are degrees. I think people are too general. They talk in such broad brush strokes and generalize so much that it's not fair. Like if a guy like, um, like Fred Mounier, Christophe Rumier, and these are two of the best winemakers in all of Burgundy, and everybody loves their wine, but they're not, you know, if they need to use a little something, they will. But it's just a protective measure. It's not sure. like automatically yeah. they're going to do 10 treatments a year and use the chemical fertilizers, and just like their, grand, their parents or grandparents used to do. You're talking about minimal, respectful doses, if necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Only if necessary. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, sure. Look, when you aren't feeling well, I, I, when I'm not feeling well, I, I don't take any medicine. Yeah. But if my fever goes up really high, I'm going to take something. Yeah. Of course. Of course. You know? Painkiller. You know, and it's cold outside. I don't like, like, I don't have a cold, <laughs> but if I have to put a coat on, I'm going to put a coat on. Yeah. Get what you mean. Yeah. 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 If it's raining, I might get an umbrella. <laughs> it's artificial, but, you know, it's not natural. But <laughs> What do you think about the future for Burgundy? We talked a little bit about that at the seminar with yeah. the pricings that are increasing in the new markets and the small crops and the small harvests. Do you have any fears? Or well, I'm very... Um, uh, pleased and that there are so many winemakers producing these smaller appellations and really regenerating re and reinvigorating the region because you have these young winemakers who can't afford the famous properties the or the, the famous appellations um, but they're creating an atmosphere that is encouraging young people uh, consumers And making them feel uh, able to discover these wines mm -hmm. and at affordable prices. Because what I was afraid of before I saw all this, this movement with the smaller Appalachians and the young generation, I was afraid that Burgundy would start to take on the image that Bordeaux is suffering. And the, that image is it's elitist, it's expensive, it's unattainable, it's not for me. And, and I think they're struggling with that. And I think there's absolutely incredible Bordeaux, but I think that they have to be able to communicate the message that um, this is a, a great wine region and there's something for everyone. Mm -hmm. But Burgundy, I think, is doing that. And I think they're doing a really good job with the, this really new young generation making Bourgogne and, and Bourgogne Cote, Cote de Nuit Village. That's yeah. another appellation. Yeah, yeah. Look for Cote de Nuit Village. And Haute Côte and Marcenay and... I think they're really, really communicating that well. And, and they're traveling. And I invite them to the Palais. This year, I invited like six or eight young producers who are not famous. So it's a big risk for me because my fear was that the clientele only wanted to see the big famous names. Sure. But this year, I got so much feedback from the clients saying, it was so wonderful to discover so-and-so or this appellation and this. It really was... Very rewarding for me to, first of all, know that my clientele is not just looking for labels, mm. but also that they're interested in wine. And um, they weren't just liking the wine because of the name on the bottle. More educational. Yeah, it was great. You said something during the tasting that's really a good, always a good advice, to, to, to read, the, read the, the label from 
from the, the bottom, from the bottom, uh, yeah. bottom up, and start with the with the yeah, uh, look at that. producer. Ubelinier, right at the bottom of the label. Yeah. Good wine. Uh, I don't even care what's above it. No, no. You know, I know it's going to be good. But what would you say are the biggest challenges for for uh, Burgundy for, for the next sort of? Mm-hmm. Well, the biggest challenges I think is for uh, inheritance succession. Uh, how do they handle that with the family? And because it's so difficult, it's going to take on a more corporate uh, image mm. because so many of the land, uh, so many of the big domains are now owned by big corporate structures, insurance companies, or industrials, and so. It doesn't mean that the wine is going to suffer, but the overall image will shift a little, shift a little bit away from the family and the farmer on a tractor who goes home at the end of the day to something that's a little bit more formal um, and, more suits. and corporate. <laughs> more suits. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm afraid that that's it, but that's just the reality. Yeah. yeah. It's not quite as romantic as it was when I first started going there, but still, the wines are great. Yeah. Maybe one last one, last one, uh, one last question. Yeah. Um, what would you say for for a um, wine consumer that's interested to to really get into Burgundy as a wine region? I mean, to, oh, yeah. to learn more and to taste more. What, what do you have any advice? For I do. I advise them to come to La Pole de New York <laughs> <laughs> on March. It will be March 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 2019. You can go to www.lapole.com. That's L-A-P like Peter, A-U-L-E-E.com. And then you will learn... Everything, Everything you need to know. <laughs> That's a good advice. Uh, let's <laughs> we'll definitely that, that li- link it in the. Uh, <laughs> of course, we will link. Well, thank you, Daniel, for uh, yeah. for taking the time. Uh, My pleasure. Thank Thanks. you, Thanks. Daniel. Thanks good lot. luck. I hope you get some listeners <laughs> and some people who um, enjoy it. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher.